I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Just start rattling off all the bad things I've done until you get tired of hearing about them or what? I'm going to talk to you about the judge of the fatherless. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mean to be so difficult, Mrs. Cleaver. It's just that he's at the age where he doesn't realize how important it is to keep a promise. Which Bible stories you want to hear? It's just a Sunday school. Thanks, Dad. Welcome to the Faith of the Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to reignite the faith of our fathers. Because without the fathers, the world goes to pot. And we need a revival, and I believe that we are living in the days of a revival. But revivals across history, throughout history, have come in varying degrees and sizes. The way we participate in a revival influences how big and how wide that revival goes. Why do we want a revival? Because it's only when people are reconciled to God that we have righteousness, peace, and joy in our land. Right now, we are very far from that. We are full of chaos and corruption and evil, and we want to uproot that. We want to evict it. We want to cast it out, and we want the Holy Spirit to come and give us righteousness, peace, and joy so that we can just enjoy the goodness and beauty of life and not be... um, destroyed by the mechanisms of evil. So can we initiate a revival? Can we initiate a miracle? I believe we can. There's been a large swathe of Christian um, thought that has placed the sovereignty of God in such a way, it's talked about the sovereignty of God in such a way, uh, as to lead us to think that revivals happen completely on the initiation of God, and that we cannot make revivals happen. We cannot initiate them happening. We can only be thankful when they finally do happen. I disagree with that. I believe very much that we are, uh, God is always ready for revival. He's waiting for us to get on board with revival. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. In chapter 14, he's fed 5,000 people with two fish and uh, five loaves of bread. The, uh, Jesus dec- decides to send the disciples ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee uh, so that he can have a little bit of peace and quiet. He can have a minute to pray and to uh, get some rest because ministry has been going. He's been announcing the kingdom of God. He's been healing the sick. Uh, casting out demons, and people are coming to him from all over. This is happening in our time in up in Washington State. It's happening through the ministry of Pursuit Northwest with Pastor Russell Johnson. It's happening in Nashville, Tennessee with Pastor Greg Locke. Both are doing profound deliverance ministries and healing ministries, and people are coming to them from all over the world as well as all over the nation. I'm sure it's happening in other places in this nation, which I'm, I may not know the names of the people doing the ministry, but God does, and the work is going on. So Jesus is doing that ministry. People are coming to him. He needs a break. He sends the disciples ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says that when, they were, when the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, a great storm blew up, uh, and they saw Jesus walking to them on the water. And, you know, at first they're freaked out. They think it's a ghost. And then when they realize that it's Jesus, Peter says, Lord, if that's you, command me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, come. 
So Peter walks on the water. So my question today is, can we initiate a miracle? When we think of this scenario, Jesus is walking on the water. He, he didn't have a boat, um, so he had to walk on the water to catch up to the disciples who had the boat. Uh, when he's almost there, Peter sees what's going on, and he's just like, I want to do that. Can I do that? Uh, will you call me out on the water? And, Peter, and Jesus says, come on. So Peter does it. I think it's remarkable that Jesus doesn't say to Peter, why would you ask that? You're not, you're not the Messiah. Uh, just stay in the boat. Don't be ridiculous. Also, he could, he could have said, well, Peter, you've got a boat. I don't. There's a reason I'm walking on the water, and you're, uh, you're already in a boat, so don't be ridiculous. Don't be a show-off. Stay in the boat. That's not what Jesus says at all. He says, come. Not only that, the Bible says that Peter was walking on the water, which is pretty darn amazing. Peter's walking on the water to Jesus, but then he starts to look around at the waves, and he gets scared. A spirit of fear takes over, and he starts sinking. He calls to Jesus. Jesus grabs a hold of him and rescues him, and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That says to me that not only are we allowed to initiate a miracle, Jesus wants us to do so. So my family and I, my wife and, and our children, have traveled to every state in the nation except Hawaii yet, and we have done that for the sake of pursuing revival. Uh, it's always been my heart's cry as long as I have been uh, as, as long as my faith has been activated, I mean, as far as I can, as long as I can remember, my heart's cry has been for America to become uh, more Christian than it's ever been in its history. We have a remarkable history in America of uh, strong Christian uh, roots through the Puritans, but also through many revivals through Dwight Moody and Charles Finney and the Great Awakening in George Whitfield. Um, and in uh, John Wesley, uh, we have uh, a remarkable history of strong Christian ethic uh, and strong Christian zeal. The Azusa Street revivals, the Jesus movement, we need that again. That is the only thing that has truly made America great. It is not systems that have made America great. I do believe system, some systems are better than others. Some are more in line with the principles of God than others, but if the hearts of the people are not with God, then all the systems go to pot. And we know this right now because uh, right now we know that our nation is full of corruption. We know that our election uh, our election systems are rigged, and yet we bring them to the courts. It's a black and white, uh, black letter law issue. It's not, it shouldn't be complicated at all. And yet the courts have failed us time and again because they are corrupt. The men in those places and the women in those places are corrupt and they don't they uh, bow to political pressure they bow to their own fears they bow to their own agenda they are not committed to the truth they are not committed to the law and so our system is breaking down because of a lack of character not because the system is bad so a christian revival is the only way back it's only when people come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they say, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it benefits me financially, not because it keeps me out of trouble. 
It's, I'm going to do the right thing because I fear God more than I fear man, because my heart's desire is to live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So therefore, I'm going to do the right thing. That can only happen through a Christian revival. And so that's what I want. And that's why we started traveling the country, um, uh, because uh, that's that was what God put in my heart, especially as a worship leader. I experienced the presence of God in a profound way when I was 18, just, just before I turned 18 in Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, before that I did, actually, through uh, the Passion Movement, which was a revival of sorts in my generation with Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, and Charlie Hall, Matt Redman, um, and many others that uh, sought to ignite a generation of college students to give their lives for the sake of the gospel instead of pursuing what we call the American dream. I don't have a problem with the American dream if the American dream is I want my own house and my own family so that I can raise them in a way uh, that uh, teaches them to love God, where they're protected, where they're loved, where they're cared for, and where we're safe, where we can go out and get an honest job and make an honest living and enjoy the good things of life. That is the good American dream. It is not the American dream that is just about making money and living however I darn well please is not a dream at all. That's a nightmare. That's a trick of the devil. That is, um, that's a bait and switch it's a classic thing that's, uh, you know, just like Satan telling Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give you all the, all the wealth of the nations and all their power. The only thing I require is you fall down and worship me. Jesus rejected that. Many Americans have not, which is why we need deliverance ministry today. Literally, many people have sold their souls to the devil. They have made human sacrifices, and I'm not exaggerating. They've literally made human sacrifices in secret places, in the earth for the sake of gaining wealth and prosperity, for, for the sake of, of, of gratifying the lusts of the flesh, they have done these things. They have traded their souls for the wealth of the nations. That's why we have the corruption we have right now. Many of us have done this in smaller degrees uh, where we haven't um, it's not as blatant as maybe being a literal Satanist or a Freemason, uh, but but we have done it in in uh, small ways, or I mean, they're not small, but they f- they feel less significant, and I think in some ways they are because it's not a conscious decision that I'm going to sacrifice to the devil to get the the wealth of the nations. But we have, by not seeking first the kingdom of God, we have made idols out of many many things, seeking from them righteousness, peace, and joy. But they're not the Holy Spirit, so they end up stealing, killing, and destroying, which shows that they are marks of the devil. We really are in a war between good and evil right now, and uh, the only way the only way back is through a Christian ri- revival. So I was part of a Christian revival in the Passion Movement, and when I was at this conference in Memphis, Tennessee in the year 2000, I experienced the presence of God in a profound way. 50,000 high school seniors and college stu- students worshiping the Lord, dedicating their lives to the Lord. And when I came back, I just had to sing those songs. And I've wanted ever since that time to be able to share the experience of the presence of God through worship with as many people as possible. That is a major reason why uh, we began to travel the country trying to export uh, this experience of the presence of God through worship. 
And to small degrees, I'd say we succeeded. But the other reason is because I wanted to see the miracles of God firsthand. Uh, And, you know, my journey in doing this included a great battle with fear, and it still includes this at times, but not nearly to the extent it did at the beginning, um, because I wanted to do something great. And like Peter, I said to Jesus, Lord, call me out. I want to travel. I want to do this ministry. And the Lord said, come. And in the early days, we I planned to do this. We were going to make a trip, my brother and I. Uh, this was before I was ma- married, uh, maybe a year or two before. Uh, there were doors open. We were going to go to the Northeast and travel around to different homes and stuff and lead worship. Well, it was the year after my dad had died. We were running the family business, and it was really hard to make ends meet. And I chickened out, and I just was like, uh, you know, my language was, it's not wise. <laughs> and I, I backed out of it. I didn't do the trip. And um, I felt like the Lord said to me a couple of years later, when I was married, you owe me. Like, because I was still asking him for this. I'm still asking for revival. I'm still asking to be used by God. And in a sense, God said to my spirit, you owe me. You asked me for this. I granted it. And then you didn't take it. So I had to repent of that and begin to move. And what God said to me is also what he said to the to the disciples right before this incident with Peter in Matthew 14. Because in Matthew 14, before Jesus walks on the water, he feeds 5,000 people. And the way that went came about is because the disciples were observing that there are all these uh, thousands of people following Jesus out in the wilderness because they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're seeing the miracles. They're having the sick healed, and they're having the demons cast out, which is what they need. They know they need that. That's They're experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit through the ministry of Jesus. This is what their hearts long for. But the disciples look around and just observing, they're like, well, there's not enough food here. Uh, there's no food here. Even if we were to call, call it a day right now and send people home, many of them are going to pass out along the way because there's there's no there's no fast food joints along the way for them to eat. Uh, so, like, this is kind of an emergency. The disciples are just realizing, wow, uh, things have gotten really out of hand. It's really late. So let's, uh, Jesus, we better send the crowds away. And Jesus says, they don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. And uh, the disciples pull out their pockets and say, you know, we, we don't have anything. We've got, uh, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, that's not nearly enough to feed all these people. It doesn't even begin to touch it. And Jesus still says, you give them something to eat. That's how I felt when the Lord was calling me uh, calling me in response to my request. I said, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me, like Isaiah 6. Uh, and the Lord says, okay, come. And then I'm basically saying, yeah, okay, well, I'm afraid to go. He says, come. And I say, but Lord, I don't have enough money. But Lord, I don't know how we're going to do this. Where are we going to sleep? Uh, what, what about when we have kids? What Our family's going to get bigger. Are there enough resources? And the Lord says, you give them something to eat. And I know I've felt the need to argue with him so many times on that of just like, Lord, I said, I don't know if you heard me, but I don't have anything. And the Lord insists, you Give them something to eat. The Lord, the Lord is telling you right now, you give them something to eat. You may not feel equipped. You may be saying to the Lord, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough skill. I don't have enough knowledge. He never asked you those things. The only 
thing that you need is a willingness of heart. He will do the teaching. He will do the miracles. He will bring the power. So can we initiate a miracle? I think 100% yes, because in these stories from Jesus, Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for asking to come out on the water. He doesn't rebuke him saying, that's a ridiculous request. Who do you think you are? Instead, he says, come. And then when G- when Peter starts sinking because of doubt and fear, Peter rebukes that. I mean, Jesus rebukes that. He chides that. He says, why did you doubt? In other words, Jesus wants you to ask him. He wants you to ask him to call you out on the waves. So he is calling you out on the waves. He wants to do miracles through you. The disciples came to Jesus and said, we can't do this. And Jesus said to them, yes, you can. You give them something to eat. And again, the disciples insist, we can't do it. And Jesus doesn't move. You give them something to eat. So how do we initiate a miracle? We walk by faith. What is it that God's put in your heart to do? For us, it is traveling the country. This is just one of the things. I mean, stepping out and sharing the gospel with somebody in public, praying over somebody, uh, offering prayer, and then actually doing it on the spot. Um, there are all sorts of ways that we can step out in faith. Giving a gift, a financial gift to somebody, um, taking the time to go and talk to somebody who you know is going through a hard time and just more or less listen, giving up your time that maybe you don't feel like you have. There's so many things that we can do, um, and the Lord has already put something on your heart. What is your heart's burden? What is it that you really want to do for the Lord? He is saying, yes, it's it's time for you to do that. Now, in that process, you may discover that you have baggage, that you have, you will discover this, that you have baggage, that you have things that you need to deal with, because those are actually the things that have hindered you from acting all this time. For me, uh, a spirit of pride, a spirit of fear, uh, you know, several different types of spirits of fear, the fear of rejection, the fear of finances, etc., were things that have come, are things that have come up as I've done ministry. And it's by walking, uh, by beginning to move, that uh, these things get stirred up, and God wants that. It's okay, you know. Like He's not in a hurry. Uh, you don't need to be a superstar. No, there are no Christian superstars. There are only uh, there's only the power of Jesus. And in a sense, there are Christian superstars. I mean, I've mentioned Greg Locke and Russell Johnson. I mean, the the this podcast, the Faith of the Fathers, celebrates the the fathers of our faith and history, like Derek Prince, David Wilkerson, Charles Spurgeon, Dwight Moody. These people are heroes of the faith. Sean Foyt is a current hero of the faith as well. Um, But what makes them great is nothing within themselves uh, naturally. It's by them becoming into line with Jesus. It's by them, it's by us submitting ourselves to the uh, to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the sanctification of Jesus by submitting ourselves to the deliverance ministry of Jesus first. You know, it's really significant. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah sees a vision of the glory of God filling the temple, uh, and it's a remarkable scene. He says, his response to the holiness of God is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And as he says this, an angel 
uh, comes to him and touches his lips with a burning coal, and it says, your iniquity has been removed. And then Isaiah is commissioned as a mouthpiece of God to the people of Israel, to that people of unclean lips. And what the prophet Isaiah had to experience was the purification. Isaiah was going to go out and talk to this people of unclean lips, calling them to come back to Yahweh, to come back to God, and to have their hearts cleansed. In order for Isaiah to do that appropriately, properly, effectively, powerfully, Isaiah himself had to go through the process of deliverance. He had to go through the the process of purification, of sanctification. You and I will have to go through that process. I think that's many times the reason we withhold ourselves from ministry is because we're afraid of going through that process. But we cannot be afraid. By you know, fear is a prison. And it's not only a prison for you, it's a prison for the whole nation. America is being enslaved right now because of fear. The COVID-19, uh, all all of that, all the stuff that came with that exposed that America is deeply controlled by a spirit of fear. And because of it, we have lost our freedom. I don't say we are losing it. We have lost it. It is gone. But the way to get it back is the same as it's always been. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not be subject to the yoke of slavery. Fear is a prison. Fear is the opposite of faith. And the only remedy to fear is faith. By stepping out and saying, I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you're calling me out on the water. I believe that you're commissioning me for a task. And I'm, in spite of myself, in spite of my weaknesses, I'm going to start taking steps toward that goal. And I know I'm going to run into a wall of fire. I know that I'm going to experience a purification of the soul. But I trust you in that process that you are good, that you love me, and and you will speak truth over me, and you will deliver me. And as you deliver me, I'm going to become equipped, empowered, filled with authority to set others free. As Isaiah 61 says, and Jesus said of himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, and to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When we are purified, we are then equipped, filled with authority, to purify the nations. That's why deliverance ministry is the heart and soul of of Jesus's ministry. It's the heart and soul of the mission of the church. We are called to be uh, deliverance ministers, and that begins with us, as it says in the Bible, that judgment begins in the household of God. So let the Lord do his work in you. Let the Lord anoint you with his Holy Spirit. Let the Lord send you out Can you initiate a miracle? Yes. And you do so by saying yes to Jesus. Come, take that first step out on the water, and you're going to see miracles. All right, I hope we see you out on the road on our mobile church tour. Uh, We look forward to you um, seeing what God does in the weeks ahead. God bless.